Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 2? I'm going to back up a little bit, cover some of what we covered last time, but from a different perspective that's very important for you and me and for those to whom Peter was writing in that day. We've been looking at the mandates previous to this and even this when we looked at some of it last time from the perspective of who we are in Christ and how we are to behave as Christians in whatever place we may have been put as the Lord's people. But it's such a rich text then it deserves for us also not just to look at who we are and how we behave in Him and those reasons that are given. But verses 21 through 25 in chapter 2, who Christ is, to us. That's the main thing. Now, the crux of the, of the context is how Christ is our example. We're going to break this down into four parts, these verses here. We start up in verse 21. First of all, Christ is our calling. I'll explain that in the part of the verse we're going to look at, but let me preface it with what was said in Isaiah, what, back in chapter six or so. Almighty God is laying out the dilemma of the day regarding the people of God, and the question comes from heaven, whom shall we send? And who will go for us? The response from Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. In the heart of Isaiah, because of his position in the Lord, especially as a prophet, the call, the need was the call. And who we are in Christ is our calling. Let's look at it here. For this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. If we're in Christ, then we should expect that the world will treat us no differently than what the world, than how the world treated Christ. The reaction of the world to Jesus is how we should expect the world to react to us because we are in Christ. You know, it was, it was really a, it was really a, a, a term of mockery in uh, the book of Acts where, where the believers, the disciples of Christ were first called 
Christians. That's a, that's a word that is taken half from Greek and half from Latin. It's a, it's a term of mockery. Little, little Christs is how it translates. Little Christs. They're running around like little Christs. And they bore that name happily because they were humbled to think that the world would think of them as little Christs. Of course, we are not the perfect son of God. We are children of God, but we are not the only begotten of God as Jesus evermore shall be. The second of the Trinity, God the Son who became a man. But by the eternal and divine power of God. Who established us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Who after the fall of man has called us to Christ. And Christ has come to redeem us from that fall. Thus we become identified with Christ. Acknowledging that our salvation is in Christ and that there is no other. Therefore, that which we have come to believe and know, the divine call of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to which we have been quickened spiritually and have been drawn to the call of God, uh, the Father. makes us in agreement with everything that is said regarding Christ and regarding who we are in Christ. And so our very existence as Christians brings necessary condemnation upon the world. It brings, it brings conviction because we're in Christ having acknowledged our hopelessness in, in the state where we were without Christ, namely the state of fallen humanity. Nothing good could ever come from, our, from the works of our hands or even the thoughts of our minds. There is nothing that we could do that's good. There is none who does good, said the prophet. No, not one, not a single one of all of the human race. There is no one who can do good. And we have to agree to that. You know where the word confess, to confess our sin. The word confess comes from a Greek word that means to agree with. We agree with God regarding our sinful and fallen state, our helpless and hopeless condition. And that there's nothing we can do. Therefore, there is no good work we can perform. There is no creation that can come from our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, that can in any way help and improve the human race. Contrarywise, all of the thoughts that proceed from the heart and mind of man are only evil. And as, as the Lord relented back in the, just before the flood, it's it's only on his heart to do wicked all the time. This is the condition of the human race. 
We cannot help ourselves. And I'll tell you, when the world turns more and more away from Christ, the world becomes more chaotic, more murderous, meaner, more savage. This is the base nature of the fallen human race. That's who we are in Adam. In Adam, all die. That's what the Bible says. But by the power of God, those who are his are thus called and then redeemed by the power of Christ. And in that process, it is to be understood and the world understands it because the God of this world causes them to despise it and hate it. We've come to agree with God that we're hopeless and helpless and that there is no hope for the human race. In and of ourselves, we will get worse and worse until we implode and just destroy ourselves with depravity and sinfulness. The the behavior will get worse. The diseases will get worse. Everything gets worse. Until finally it collapses and falls. Unless there is the intervention of God, which is grace. God has intervened by grace. Therefore, so, we agree with God that we're fallen and there's nothing good in us. Can't do a thing that's good in and of myself. So I have to be born again. It's an act of God. It's a divine act of God. Providential. And as Peter has said, we studied it, chapter 1, He causes us to be born again. It's by the power of God. I can't birth myself. I certainly can't give myself spiritual birth. There's no way. That's impossible. Only God can do this for me. So I come to agree with God that I am otherwise a failed sinner of a failed human race that in and of itself has no hope. Nothing but a cold, dark grave and a final collapse and fall into the lake of fire. That's all that I have, apart from the grace of God. So I confess, I I agree with God about my sinful condition. And God divinely awakens me into a spiritual rebirth. And now I am enabled spiritually to see things in the world and in the human race from a spiritual point of view. I was otherwise incapable of that. Someone who is not in Christ cannot understand the horror of the present condition of the fallen human race. Only those who are in Christ can understand how finally human history will simply spiral downward until the last act of humanity in the times of the Gentiles and in the the gathering of the nations will be at Armageddon to raise a fist against the returning Christ, thinking that the world has the answer to defeat the king of kings. That's where it ends. 
It ends in horrible defeat, finally, for the human race, but not until the last of God's own elect are gathered to himself. And only then. That's why later on Peter will say, God is not willing that any should perish in the greater context. A thousand years is a day, a day of a thousand years. God will take as long as it takes to bring all of those who are his to himself. Not willing to lose any of those who are his own. So then, when we come to Christ, we come to a suffering, humiliated Christ who died on the cross. Who died there for my sin. He took my place. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Paul writes to the Corinthians. And we've come into an agreement with that. Now here's what happens. When the world sees that I'm a Christian, I cannot deny Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me and my life in Christ cannot compare with anything that the present worldly life can give me. So I would deny myself even if it costs me my life. And because I have come to that conclusion about the human race, then an unsaved person sits and, or stands and thinks, well, he must think the same thing about me, that I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I can't do anything that's good, that I only deserve the lake of fire, that I'm only worthy of death. Well, that's right. Unless by his grace God called you to himself. Oh, happy day. That he would call you. And so we plead. We testify. We pray for them. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It separates. It separates those who are in Christ to come to Christ finally. Those who are called of God. It separates those from those who are not. We can't control the results. All we know is that we have a mandate to tell everybody that we want them to have the life that we have in Christ. Now, the world hates that. Outside of Christ, the world duped by the God of this age believes that mankind can create his own agenda and can save himself. You know, have you, ever, have you ever had pain so bad that tears come into your eyes? It hurts. Man, that hurts. You know, and it just keeps hurting until it becomes laughable. You start laughing at it. Well, I can't, I can't help myself, so I might as well laugh at it, right? This is, this is how I feel Especially in this contemporary world, this, this time, this age in which we live, untold man hours, the productions of nations, gross national products, efforts of world leaders flying all over the world, having meetings, creating agendas and thinking they can solve problems. They only make it worse because the human mind 
cannot help but make things worse, you see. And one of the things is uh, that, that I, get, I just get breathless and I just, I just thrash about. Not really, but I want to. Until finally I just start laughing. And I think of how the world, how, how committees and groups and agencies of the UN or whoever will come together with these very expensive projects. Going to save the world. Going to save the world from ourselves. For example, we, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be biblical here and not political, but we have this thing, you know, global warming. God will use the weather as a weapon. You're not going to take that weapon out of the hand of God. He ain't going to do it. When I was a very young man, I think it was hairspray or something, was destroying the ozone layer. Is that right? Was it hairspray? Aerosols, okay. Going to destroy the ozone layer. I should be standing in front of you as a burned crisp. Never worked. Then a report comes out some 25 years later or so. That hole in the ozone, it's kind of healed itself. I'm out of breath. Listen, the worst thing we can do is ban cosmetics. <laughs> let the ozone burn away if it has to. But oh God, let them fix their hair with spray. And let me spray my underarms as well. What a terrible world. We think we're going to heal the world. Mankind is not going to outmaneuver God. Let me tell you something. The earth's going to take care of itself until God is ready to pour out his wrath upon the earth. That's just the way it is. But you can't tell the United Nations that. You can't tell the leaders of the world that. They just, they just come up with all of these things that impose difficulties on you and me. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. My, if, I, if my memory is right, within the last year or so in England, in the United Kingdom, they killed like 200,000 cows. Is that right? Just killed them because they were passing gas. Man, what if they started doing that to humans? You guys got to get out of here just a minute. Would you just get out of here? We don't go along with all that mess because we just read the Bible. It's a simple thing. We trust God. And they hate us for it. In the last, I don't know, six, eight, ten years, I talked to some guy and he was talking about global warming. And I said, you know, of course, I have to tell you this. We were in Key West for four years and we came back. And the winters were worse, am I right? The winters are worse than they were when we went down there. That's cold weather, see. That's not warming, that's 
colding, <laughs> cooling. So I had read about the cycles of, that, that go every 200, 200 years or something. And I said, well, what about this cycle stuff, you know? Oh, no, man. This guy got all upset. And I said, well, what about, you know, what about when the time comes and all the sea creatures are finally dead and all the water is undrinkable? Oh, we're not that far from there. Oh, wait a minute. You don't know. They hate you for it. They don't want to hear a biblical response. They want to hear a man-made response. Now, that's the world. And we are called into suffering because of that. We suffer. They think we're fools. And we suffer because of it. That's our calling. It's our calling in Christ. Because secondly, Christ is our example. Now, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example. Hippogamon. Hippo means under. Gramon comes from a word that means to write. To write under. It immediately says that you should follow after his steps. Okay. To write under. Example. Here's, okay. If you go back. Now, when I was a kid, you started school in the first grade. I think now they start while still nursing or something. I don't know, but <laughs> it was in the first grade. Ms. Pardew, she's dead. She was my first grade teacher. And I know what you think. Well, Lord, yes, she'd be dead if, you, if, you, if she was your first grade teacher. And she was a short, stubby lady and did all she could do to reach up to the top of the blackboard. But we would learn the alphabet by writing what she wrote. Make an A. You come this way. And you put a mark. That's a little A. Here's a big A. You do this and this. And then there'd be something like an apple. Starts with an A. Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. We were writing under our teacher. That's what he means. To, to copy. To write under. To be taught. And to do that same thing. This is Christ who is our example. Now this presupposes that Christians will be aware of the life that Christ lived. How good are you at the four gospels? And the gospel accounts. How good are you at recognizing the differences in John's account that from the other three? Well, this is just part of who we are. We should be very, very familiar with the life of Christ because he is our example. Not like somebody tells you what he does. And there's all, there are all kinds of weird thoughts about Jesus. But what the Bible says... And he is our example. This is who we are in Christ. That we should follow after his steps. Then he gives us these examples or these illustrations, these things, how Christ lived. And here are the things that we should be following. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Slander. 
who being abused did not abuse in return. And when suffering, he didn't threaten. Now, how was he able to do that? And how am I able to do this? Here's the answer. He gave himself over to him who is judging justly. It's very simple. It's very simple. You take a deep breath, regardless of what the situation is, and you say, this is the will of God. You will never, ever be out from under the will of God. Never. So, Christ gave himself over to the will of the Father. It was not the will of the Father that he would slander people or or abuse people who abused who abused him or threaten people when he, no that wasn't it he followed the will of the father because the will of the father will finally bring all things into judgment and it will be a righteous judgment who judges justly whatever the plight May be, and I'll tell you this is a this is a lesson you have to keep learning every day, and you just go a little far because you man, it is in our blood to strike back. It's in our blood to threaten and intimidate those who we don't like, who we think don't like us. It's in our blood to talk about people like we shouldn't talk about them to slander them. But that's not the will of the Father. So we repose in the will of the Father. To understand the will of the Father, you have to read your Bible. So there again, the necessity for us to read, to study, and to understand the Word of God it's a constant thing. It's, it's always, it's always, there's always a new thing to learn every time you go through the word of God. But to understand that the will of God is absolutely sovereign and supreme. This is the will of God. This is the will of my father. This is how Jesus dealt with what he was called into regarding his suffering. We're told here that he is our example. We should follow after his steps. So how did Christ respond to these things? And why did he? Because it was the will of his father. And this is where he leaves us. To seek and to be obedient to the will of the father. Thirdly, he is our substitute. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having been dead to sins, we might live to righteousness by whose wounds you have been healed. He quotes the prophet here. He is our substitute. It is a a beautiful, wonderful, humbling thing. I mentioned earlier earlier how we have to agree with God regarding sin, that there's no good thing in us. 
We cannot accomplish good. The only good that ever may flow through us is what Christ does through us. And thus Christ receives all the glory and the honor because of Christ in us doing these things. And we should remember that he is our substitute. What we deserved was laid on him. Atonement. Substitutionary death. A vicarious offering. Jesus on the cross. You know, the, the doctrine, the principle, the law of atonement, of sin, human sin, and required atonement started with the first sin. Adam and Eve sought to cover their nakedness with leaves, fig leaves, leaves. And of course, that doesn't work. God covered them with coats of skins. Now, if you go deer hunting or something, you're going to hang that deer up by his hind legs, he'll be dead. Then you'll cut his throat and drain his blood, take out his entrails, and then start skinning him. That God brought coats of skins to cover Adam and Eve meant that something died. Something died for Adam and something died for Eve. It's in the plural. In the old Hebrew. And God, I, I think it was a lamb, a sheep, a lamb. I don't know. It doesn't say. God had to take something that was innocent and kill it so that he could cover the sins of Adam and then Eve. Something that was not sinful like that. But God killed it and took its skin and covered Adam and another one and covered Eve. God had to cover their nakedness. They couldn't do it themselves. We cannot cover our sin ourselves. It's impossible. Only God can cover our, our, our sins. So then, the doctrine of atonement begins with the first sin of man, with the first man and the first woman. That's where it starts. And it doesn't stop all the way through the Old Testament. There's a very elaborate system of worship and ritual into which the Jews were brought, the, the, Isra the Israelites were brought. First the tabernacle, then the temple, and these laws that had to do with how to make a sacrifice and the, 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 the spotlessness, the 
unblemishedness of the animal that was brought as an atonement. Each one of those teaching the worshiper that only God could handle what needed to be handled and that someday he would indeed make the great sacrifice. They all understood that. Then John the Baptist announced it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. None other than Jesus. Jesus became my substitute. Apart from Christ, there is an unbelievably, unspeakable, horrible end to those who are not in Christ, and that is to be cast into the lake of fire. They're to be tormented day and night forever and ever, the Bible says. But Christ suffered greatly for me. And all that the Bible had taught up to the time that he was that lonely, sublime figure hanging on the cross. All that the Bible taught was leading those of us who are God's elect in Christ, we were brought to that moment. In the Old Testament, they understood and believed that there had to be a great atonement for their sin, and they looked forward to the day of Christ. Today, we know there has to be atonement for our sin when God calls us to be saved, and we look back to the day of Christ when he suffered on the cross. He is our substitute. He is my substitute, my atonement. He bore my sins in his body on the tree. Second Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin was made to be sin so that his righteousness might be placed on me. At the cross... And through the divine call of God bringing me to Christ, my horrible, sinful nature, all that is wrong with me, all of it, sin, defect, flaw, human nature, tendency to do evil, the despicable thing that I am apart from Christ, all the judgment that it deserved and deserves was placed on Christ and his righteousness covered me. This happened when he bore our sins. Now dead to sins, we live to righteousness. I have eternal life in Christ. So that the father looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness covering me. And when he looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw my sin placed on Jesus. And it pleased him. So then, Christ died for me. He is our substitute. Finally, he is our shepherd and overseer. For you were like sheep 
going astray. You know, okay. Here's, here's the job description of a sheep. Go wander somewhere. That's why it needs a shepherd. If it wasn't that way, he wouldn't need a shepherd. Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul to restore. The Hebrew means to bring back. To bring me back where I'm supposed to be. That same concept is here. But now you have returned. To return. It's not the word repent. It's a different word. Epistrophite. Epi means a poem. Strafi means to, to turn, to turn upon, to turn upon a point, to come back. To come back. Christ gives the beautiful parable of the lost sheep. Leave the 99 to find that one. Bring him back. This is what Christ does for us. For you were like sheep going astray. It's going to happen. God help us. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death? What I want to do, I'm not doing. What I'm not supposed to do, I'm doing. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have a substitute a savior, a shepherd who takes care of me and an overseer, a watcher, a guardian of my soul. Episcopum. Upon scopos, to look, to look upon, to see over, to watch over. The word is, the word is bishop, it's, or a bishop, it's to over, oversee your soul. The bishop of my soul. My Lord assumes a great responsibility, first of all, to bring me back when I stray, and secondly, to watch over me all the time in my life. How many times have I felt him watching over me? When the wrong tendency, the wrong thing may have been slipping into my heart or into my mind. The guardian of my soul was there. You know, at the end of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Radaf, follow, chase after in the Hebrew. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me all the days of my life. Sheep follow a shepherd. My sheep know me, hear my voice, they follow me. John 10, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. So we're following Christ. Now a nice, a nice smelling tuft of grass may cross my nose while I'm following Christ. Goodness and mercy 
sheepdogs. One on one side and one on the other. Chase after me. You ever, you ever seen those shepherd dogs work, work a flock of sheep? Man, goodness and mercy. There they are. Chasing after me. A shepherd watching over me. Two sheep dog, two shepherds chasing after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here it is. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer, guardian of your souls. This is Jesus to us. He reminds the sojourners east of Rome not only who they are in Christ but who Christ is in them would you bow your heads and close your eyes Jesus Christ is the son of God he came into this world to save sinners If you're here without Christ, it is our prayer that you will be called to Christ today and that you'll respond, of course, in faith. As you may feel that conviction in your life, only God can do that. In just a moment after our prayer, as you exit this room, just across the hall as you're exiting, you will see deacons and their wives standing in the doorways of a couple of rooms ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here and God is leading you into the membership of this church. This is where he would have you to serve him, to fellowship with other believers, to be discipled in his word. Will you talk to them? We'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. For now, we're going to be dismissed in prayer. Prayerfully stand all over this room with you, would you? And we'll pray.